I want to turn our attention to, uh, to the, well, the last of the fruit of the Spirit we're going to look at, uh, gentleness, or sometimes translated uh, meekness in some of your translations. And some of you are saying, now, wait a minute, Jeff, that's not the last fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, we did self-control earlier in the summer. We did it on Father's Day. So if you missed that one, you can go back and check it out on the podcast. So this is the last one in the series we're going to be doing. And maybe to to talk about that, when I think about gentleness or or that word meekness, as it's translated in some English translations, I I think about a story I heard. Two guys were just kind of going at it in a conversation. And one guy was really ragging on his buddy because he said, you, you let your wife walk all over you. She, you, you just, you can't do this and you need to stand up and and he kind of finishes with a rhetorical flourish and he says, after all, what are you, a man or a mouse? Oh boy, thinks a minute. He says, I must be a man. My wife's scared of a mouse, <laughs> right? <laughs> And sometimes that's our picture of meekness, right? That's our understanding of meek. Meek as a mouse, right? That idea of if you're meek or you're gentle, you're scared, you, you, you don't have strength, you, you, we, you're weak. Basically, we, we equate oftentimes meek with weak. Well, while that may be the way sometimes we use that word culturally, that's not how the word is used biblically. Biblically, it has an entirely different meaning. Let me just give you as an example, Jesus himself highlighted the value of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You say, well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not weak. Well, how about how Jesus described himself? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you look at the life of Jesus, you can think about a lot of things. Weakness would not be among them. He described himself as gentle, as meek. Moses, that, that leader who, who stood up to Pharaoh and, and led people out from the, the mightiest army in the, in the world at the time, led them out of captivity in the land of Egypt. The Bible describes him. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. There is something different about the way that the Bible uses the word gentle and meek. It's not weakness, but it is something entirely different. And so maybe to help us get a handle on how we we need to think about this biblically, well, let me just give you kind of two thoughts that I hope will kind of help frame a proper understanding of what the Bible means when it talks about uh, meekness or gentleness. Meekness or gentleness involves first and foremost being God-controlled, being God-controlled. It's a humble trust rather than an arrogant independence. A humble trust that I, I, I humbly trust, I, I submit. So Jesus, with all of his strength, with all the capacity he had, God in the flesh, and yet he willingly submitted himself to the control of his Father. So there in the garden, as he's, as he's going to courageously walk to the cross, as he, as he stares that down, he submits anew and afresh to the 
Father's will. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Meekness or gentleness biblically is not weakness, but, but it is in some ways strength under control. In fact, is the Greek word that's often translated gentle or, or meek in our New Testament was used in the literature of the day. One of the ways that root word was used was of kind of taming or, uh, or breaking a horse. So it was taking uh, the, uh, the strength of a horse or another domestic animal, sta- taking the strength of that animal, and it's not that it lessened its strength, but that strength was brought under control. It was strength brought under control to serve uh, a greater uh, purpose. And, and that's part of the biblical understanding of gentleness or meekness. It is God-controlled, but also think emotionally balanced. Emotionally balanced. Strong enough to be gentle, and yet strong enough to be angry over the right things at the right time. That's gentleness biblically. It's not I I cower. It's not that I'm afraid, but there is a strength. But I'm strong enough that I I don't have to to, to blow people away all the time, right? I don't have to prove how tough I am. Strong enough to be gentle, and yet strong enough to be angry— over the right things at the right time, and I could add, and express it in the right way. That's uh, more of a biblical picture of what it means to be uh, meek or gentle. Warren Wearsby, that uh, wonderful uh, writer of, of uh, biblical commentaries and communicator of God's Word, put it this way, just as wisdom is the right use of knowledge, so meekness is the right use of authority and power. It doesn't mean the absence of authority or power. It doesn't mean the absence of strength, but it means the right use of it. Use of it under God's control. Use of it in a way that is emotionally balanced, strong enough to be gentle, strong enough to be angry over the right things at the right time. You may say, well, Jeff, that all, that all sound, sounds wonderful, uh, but man, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult, and it is. It is. That's why it's one of the things that God is going to be at work to develop and display through our lives. But as we've seen throughout this series, it's not just what God does in us, but also we have to be a part of that. We have a role to play in that. So when Paul is writing to Timothy about his life, about his leadership, he says there are certain qualities you should pursue. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. You go back uh, in the first few verses of chapter 6, there's some things he's talking about that should not be a part of our lives. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and then the last one, gentleness gentleness. Timothy, you should pursue this. This is something that you want to, to, to characterize your life. Yes, God is at work seeking to develop and display that through you, but you also need to be diligent in your pursuit of that. Seek to put that on. Seek to make that a part of your life. 
But how do I know? How do I know when gentleness is, is showing up and showing forth? Well, I, I just want to talk to you this morning about maybe some ways that may look. That may look in our lives, and I hope it'll help to give some clarity to our understanding and our pursuit of this thing called gentleness. How does gentleness or meekness kind of flesh itself out in our everyday lives? So I'm just going to give you a series of statements that I hope will be helpful and maybe even challenging to you this morning. The first is this, be understanding, not demanding. Be understanding and not demanding. Gentle people have that, that capacity for understanding. So, so Peter is giving that, that, that counsel. He's particularly in, in chapter 3 there counseling about the relationship in the home and to the women, to the wives. He says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, that it is something we are, are, are to pursue, have that gentle and quiet spirit to the husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, that part of that job description is, is, is to seek to understand. Understanding is really about treating those around you with respect, treating those around you with respect, that, that I respect you enough that I want to understand you. I want to understand. I don't want it to just be about demanding from you, but I want to understand you. Stephen Covey popularized uh, the expression years ago uh, as kind of one one of the, the seven habits of successful people, and he talked about seek first to understand before being understood. Seek first to understand before being understood. And it's, that, it's that mentality that comes in and says, I, I want to I understand. But before I, before I come in and start throwing my weight around, before I come in and start demanding this or demanding that or whatever it may be, I, I come in and say, help me to understand. Help me to understand. Gentleness has that posture that, that says, I want to understand. I want to understand. Before I come in demanding, I want to be a man or a woman of understanding. And I'm going to respect you enough to seek to understand you, to have that, that, that type of spirit that I bring to our relationship and to our interaction. How much better would our homes function if everybody in it came with that perspective, before I go to demanding, help me to be understanding. How much better would our working relationships be if we went about and said, help me to be understanding more than demanding? How much better would our political relationships, and on and on it would go, be understanding, not demanding. Second statement, be gracious not judgmental. Meekness or gentleness is gracious and not judgmental. And when Paul is writing to the Galatians, he's counseling them. How do you approach, how do you come alongside someone who has stumbled, who has blown it, who has been caught up in sin? The, this is his counsel. He says, brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, there's that word, gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, here's the question out of that. 
What is your reaction to people when they make poor choices and mess up their lives? Well, what tends to be your instinctive reaction when somebody blows it, right? For some of us, and I have to admit, sometimes my instinctive reaction is, I could have told you that was going to happen, <laughs> right? <laughs> Saw that one coming a mile away, right? Or how could you be so da-da-da-da-da, right? Gentle people understand, first of all, their own capacity to blow it. They understand uh, their own capacity to mess up. That's why he said, you know, be aware, be aware. You too might be tempted. And it's not, it's not a lowering of the standard. It's not saying uh, that there's not a right or wrong, and we'll touch on that in just a moment. Uh, but, it, but it's saying the, the purpose is not to rain down in judgment. The purpose is to seek, if at all possible, to restore and that doesn't mean there aren't consequences of choices. There are. That, that doesn't mean that maybe somebody in a, in a leadership position doesn't ever get entrusted with that leadership position before. That may be a consequence of it. But there is a seeking to restore, restore to a relationship with God, to restore to a functioning relationship with other people. And to do that requires a very gracious spirit. Judgmental people don't restore. And it's sad to say sometimes our churches are filled with judgmental people instead of gracious people. See, the, the next time you feel tempted to judge another person, can I just encourage you, pause? Just if it helps you to physically think about pushing the pause button, pause. Pause to remember how much God has forgiven you. Because when you start operating out of that posture, it lowers the judgmentalism it increases the graciousness it doesn't mean there, there's not issues to be addressed there are but it means the posture the way that you come to that becomes radically radically different gentle people are gracious not judgmental be understanding, not demanding. Be gracious, not judgmental. But let me put alongside that this statement. Be tender without surrender. You have to be tender yet without surrender. Notice the, again the counsel that, that, that Paul gives to Timothy. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness god may perhaps grant them repentance leading to knowledge of the truth now, now now look at the words there look at the words there the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone i remember hearing that 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 great uh, the preacher homer Lindsay say years ago the christian leader never has the luxury of being unkind a Christian leader never has the luxury of being unkind. Yes, be direct. Yes, you know what's right, what needs to be communicated. Yes, you may bring correction to bear, but you never have the luxury of being unkind. Correcting 
Yes, there is correction that needs to take place. Yes, there is uh, proper information that may be brought to bear. But do that with that spirit of gentleness. Do that with the hope that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Be tender and yet without surrender. You know, when we find ourselves in, in disagreement with someone, when we find ourselves in those, those moments, there's one of three possible responses. And probably some of us, by nature and nurture, tend toward one of the first two kind of instinctively. One of the first responses is that we retreat in fear. And for many of us, when we hear the word gentle or meek, this is what we think. This is what we think. When there's a disagreement, a gentle person, a meek person will retreat in fear. And some of us, that's, that's kind of our instinct. You know, keep the peace, go down low, just stay away. We retreat in fear. We might be tender, but we are surrendering. We're surrendering. The other end of the spectrum, and some of you may naturally lean more this way, is to react in anger. To react in anger. You disagree with me, I heat up. You, you speak harshly to me, I speak harsher to you, right? And we, we, we react in anger, right? And some of it, this operates in our homes this way, Right? These two responses you can see in homes all the time. Sometimes one spouse or the other will retreat in fear. I I can't win this argument. It's not going to do any good. Yada, yada, yada. I'm out and just, right? Sometimes it's about an escalation, right? And we react in anger. It happens in the workplace. It happens in social settings. It happens in our politics all the time, right? And I don't want to offend anybody here, but oh my goodness. I mean, have you just been watching the headlines from like the bantering back and forth between the United States and North Korea? I mean, does it not remind you of a playground? I mean, you know, we got our missiles pointed at you, and we got more missiles pointed at you, man. Well, we're going to shoot first. I mean, come on, right? Get an adult in the room, for goodness sakes, right? I mean, my goodness, right? Okay, some of you are writing stuff on your Connect card right now. It's all right. What's the third response? Respond in gentleness. Respond in gentleness. Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And you've seen that operate before, haven't you? You've seen that operate. You've seen or been in those situations where somebody says something and somebody fires back with a little little more heat and, and real quickly it begins to escalate and the temperature in the room is rising and tensions are getting thicker and thicker. And, and then maybe, maybe somebody else walks into that environment and they have that, that little different posture they're seeking to understand rather than demand, right? They're, 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 they're seeking to be gracious and not judgmental. They're, they're coming at it with a, a tenderness without surrendering. And you begin to feel the temperature in the room decrease. And you, you kind of see a backing off of the battle lines there a little bit. What's happened? 
Somebody's come in and responded in gentleness instead of retreating in fear or reacting in anger. I like the way that Russell Moore uh, uh, talks about this. Russell Moore, uh, who is uh, part of our our Southern Baptist uh, convention of the ethics and religious liberty uh, component, said, let's be the people who even as we speak with conviction are marked by kindness and respect. That's a sweet spot if you can get there. Let us be men and women who are marked, marked by a rock-solid convictions. We are not going to surrender on certain non-negotiable truths. But let us stand there rock-solid in our convictions and communicate it with gentleness and respect. That's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot. Yes, you can get your way in the short term in reacting in anger. You, you can, can calm the waters by retreating in fear. But you're not going to move forward. You're not going to long term take it to the next level unless you learn to respond in gentleness. Respond in gentleness. Next statement. Be teachable, not unreachable. Be teachable, not unreachable. Folks who are marked by by meekness or gentleness biblically are men and women who understand, I can learn. I can grow. I can change. I, I can be informed and stretched by other people. Proverbs, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. James challenges those in that very, very practical letter, those who are followers of Christ. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Sometimes we operate exactly the opposite, doesn't Where We're quick to speak, quick to anger, and slow to hear. He says, let us be people who have that posture that says, I can learn. I can learn. I am teachable. No matter how old I am, no matter how intelligent I am, no matter how long I've been doing what I've been doing, I am teachable. I am not unreachable. I understand that there's always something. I understand that there are people who are better at things than I am, people who know things that I don't know, people who have perspectives that I don't have. And so I come at it with a spirit that says, I am teachable, not unreachable. Let me just give you two ways to drive others away from you in case you were just like, you know, there's some people I want to get out of my life. Here are two ways that will no doubt do it, okay? The first one is never admit a mistake. Never admit a mistake. If you do that long enough, I guarantee you will drive people away from you. I never admit a mistake. I'm never wrong. It's never my fault. I never own it. I never admit a mistake. And eventually you will drive people away from you. The other way that you can drive others away from you is never learn from anyone. Never learn from anyone. Always say, I know, I got it together. I don't need your help. I don't need your perspective. I I don't need your experience. I I can't learn from you. Just have that posture and you will continually distance yourself from people. Never admit a mistake and never learn from anyone. 
Now, I, I'm just going to just maybe meddle here for just a minute, so hang on. There are a lot of folks, and some of them are even in church leadership positions, that aren't very teachable. And in fact, is we, as I mentioned, we had just hosted the, the Global Leadership Summit. And that draws leaders from a whole lot of different fields. And not even all of them are necessarily believers or people of faith. And because of that, some people say, well, I can't learn from them. I can't learn from them. In fact, it's just even us hosting it. We, we you know, have some folks that, well, we're labeled this or we're, 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 we're this just because we, we would host such a thing. And folks say, I, I'm not, I'm not going to come to anything like that. What they don't understand is we talk about it at the summit, one of the values is humility. The humility that says that I can learn from anyone. A humility that says the religious can learn from the irreligious. And the irreligious can learn from the religious. The, the people in the government can learn from people in business. And, and people in, in, in business can learn from people in the nonprofit sector. And, and just to have that posture that I can learn. That I can learn. I'm teachable, not unreachable. That you don't have to agree 100% with somebody to learn from them. And, and some of us, we get our world so stinking narrow that the only people we'll learn from are people that we feel like we agree with 100%. And I got to tell you, that's a small world, isn't it? That's a small, small world. I, I love the way one old Baptist, well, non-Baptist actually preacher put it years ago. Uh, he, said, he said, the trouble with you Baptists, he was a non-Baptist, he said, the trouble with you Baptist is you all don't know how to eat fish. World, and of course not. We eat chicken. What do we know about fish, right? We're, we're people of the bird, right? <laughs> right? He said, what, I, what does that mean? He said, whenever you eat fish, you come across some bones occasionally, right? Well, when you come across a bone, you don't stop eating fish. You just take out, you spit out the bone, and you keep on eating the meat, right? Those who are not teachable, the first time they come to a bone, Say, I'm not just not, I'm not only going to spit it out, I'm never going to eat fish again. Have that posture that says, I'm teachable, not unreachable. It is the characteristic of someone with a gentle or meek spirit. Fifth statement be an actor, not a reactor. That, that I, I choose to be an actor, and what, what that means, I'm not talking about somebody who plays a role or plays a part, but somebody who chooses their actions. Again, Peter's counsel is he's, he's lifting up this example of Jesus, the one who embodied this, this meekness and this gentleness. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Wow. In the face of being reviled, he chose how he was going to respond. He didn't react by reviling in return. In the face of suffering, he didn't, he didn't react with threats to make you suffer more. But he continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. See, people who are gentle take responsibility for their actions. 
I am responsible, not for everything that happens to me. I'm not responsible for what everybody else may say or do even toward me or say about me. But I am responsible for my attitude. I am responsible for my words. I am responsible for how I choose to act, even in the face of people who are acting in a way that is is personally painful or threatening to me. Gentle people take responsibility for their actions. Gentle people don't accuse. Now, if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't done this, if you were more like this, then I wouldn't be. No, 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 no. That's a reaction. I'm an actor, not a reactor. Gentle people don't excuse. Well, if you had been in the circumstances I had been in, if you had to go through what I had to go through, if you didn't have the support I don't have, then you would do this. No, 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 no. I don't excuse. I choose. I choose how I am going to act. It is strength under control. It is strength under God's control in trusting himself to the one who judges justly. Be an actor, not a reactor. One more, be respectful, not rejectful. I've got rejectful in, in the, uh, the quotation marks there because if you type that in your word processor, you're going to get a red squiggly line underneath it, okay? It's, I don't think it's really a word. But be respectful, not rejectful. That, that even in the face of being uh, perhaps rejected or maybe somebody who isn't going to anticipate that I would reject them, I am going to be respectful. Uh, again, to hear the counsel of Peter. But honor in your hearts, or in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, setting him apart as Lord. This is the posture of my life. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. This is where I stand. I, I, am, I am not going to agree. I'm going to reject what some others may call truth. But I'm going to disagree with gentleness and respect. See, there's a huge difference between acceptance and approval. And, and I think we have lost that distinction in our culture. There is a difference between acceptance and uh, approval. That, that I can accept someone as, as a person of worth, a person of value, a person who, who was created in the image of God and, and therefore has value. Yes, just like me, that image of God has been marred and scarred and twisted and distorted by the reality of sin and that twisting and distortion sometimes looks different in them than it does in me. But I, I still understand that they are a person created in the image of God, worthy of respect. And so there is a level of acceptance just because of who they are. But I can accept you without approving of everything you say and do. Right? I can accept you as a person without having to check off that I agree with everything that you say or do. You can accept me as a person 
without approving of everything I say or do. Now, I know we get that blurred in our culture in kind of two ways. On one way, some of us say, well, if I disagree with you, if I don't approve of this, then therefore I can't accept you. And so I, I call you names, I isolate you, I, 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 I pigeonhole you, I, I maybe even try to, to demonize you. I don't accept you because I don't approve. On the other end of that spectrum, kind of flipping it from the other way, are people that say, if you don't approve of me and all of my choices and my thoughts, then you haven't accepted me. Both of those are wrong. You can have acceptance without approval. Jesus was incredibly approachable. And yet, he did not once compromise with sin, right? I mean, the, the, there was always a, a clear thing that he walked in it. He, he called people to repentance. And, and yet what you find, go through the Gospels and see, people were drawn to Jesus because there was, there was this acceptance here. In fact, it's one of the great kind of demonizations of Jesus, one of the great accusations against Jesus. Those of you who have read the Gospels know he was called this awful thing. He was a friend of who? Sinners. It's like Jesus thought, that's bad. <laughs> That's the best you got? Right? Of course. Of course, he said. Come to seek and save the lost. Who's in need of a physician? Those who are sick. Well, why wouldn't I? There was this attractiveness. People were drawn to him. He accepted. But at the same time, he never called wrong right <laughs> he communicated clearly I mean he took on the Pharisees and their hypocrisy he called the rich young ruler to repentance he, he called people to change the direction of their life right? acceptance without approval be respectful not rejectful. Now, as I think about this, this, this quality of meekness, I think about this, this quality of gentleness, I, I, I think about, again, one of my historical heroes, and, and some of you have heard me talk about this too often, perhaps for your taste, but just accept me, even if you don't approve of me in this point. But Abraham Lincoln. And Carl Sandburg was perhaps the biographer of Lincoln's life. In fact, is, uh, he received a, the Pulitzer Prize for his six-volume biography of Lincoln. And it was so kind of powerful uh, that he was invited on the 150th anniversary of Lincoln's birthday, February 2nd, 1959, to address a joint session of Congress. Now, for a, a kind of a private citizen to do this is extraordinarily rare, rare. In fact, is before Sandberg was invited to do that in 1959, the last private citizen who had been asked to do it was in 1874. So it doesn't happen very often, right? He was invited to address a joint session of Congress, met the president, the vice president, judges, justices, all these things. 
And here's how he opened that speech. Not often in the story of mankind does a man arrive on the earth who is both steel and velvet, who is hard as a rock and soft as a drifting fog, who holds in his heart and mind the paradox of terrible storm and peace unspeakable and perfect. And when I first came across that years ago, I thought, that's it. That's it. Steel and velvet. Steel and velvet. Convictions that are rock solid. And yet, a life, a life of teachability and approachability a life marked by, by graciousness and not judgmentalism. A life that, that, that responds in gentleness instead of retreating in fear or reacting in anger. Steel and velvet. We need more men and women who are both steel and velvet. And of course, the ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ himself, Right? And that's true of all of these characteristics we've been talking about through the fruit of the Spirit. And and, and through the beginning, we've kind of had this one one central fault as we've gone through the fruit of the Spirit. And it's simply this to tie all of these together, that God seeks to develop and display the character of Christ through the followers of Christ. And whether it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control, all of these are characteristics of Jesus Christ. He was the perfect embodiment of these. And through the end dwelling spirit in every follower of Jesus Christ, God seeks to develop and display those characters of Christ through the followers of Christ. It's not a menu where I get to pick and choose. I'd like these three, please. But all nine of these are to characterize in increasing measure the life of the follower of Jesus Christ. It is something that we are called to pursue and to put on and to make a part of our lives. But while we have that responsibility, we also do that with the recognition that it's never going to happen unless God is doing it in and through us. Therefore, it is so vital that we have this vital connection, that we are vitally connected to Jesus Christ. We display the character of Christ as we are vitally connected to Jesus Christ. And so throughout this series, not only have we been throwing up Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but we've been also putting up beside it John 15, 5. I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And so as I kind of close this series, I wanted to bring you back to this truth. That everything that we've been talking about, yes, I have a choice to make. Yes, I have a responsibility under God to pursue these things and put on these things. But unless I am vitally connected to Christ, then I will not 
make much progress in seeing these characteristics developed and displayed through my life. And so I am going to ask you as we close this series, are you this day vitally connected to Jesus Christ? It begins with a connection. A connection that's based on the truth that Jesus proclaimed and lived and died for. The truth that we are in our sin disconnected from God. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to restore that broken connection. But that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That Jesus Christ came and he lived the life of perfect love and perfect obedience that we were called to live. He died the death that I deserve to die and you deserve to die because of our rebellion and our sin. And he offers to us by his grace forgiveness of our sin and restoration, reconnection of our relationship with God. And through that connection flows life, life abundant and life eternal in Jesus Christ. And that connection can be restored through Jesus Christ, but I have to, I have to respond to the offer of Christ. I have to respond to his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection by grace-enabled faith that I trust him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I recognize that I need the forgiveness that only he can provide. I recognize that I need to allow him to be in his rightful place as the Lord, the leader, the boss of my life. And so I come before him and I not only confess my sin and agree with him that I've done it my way instead of his, but I turn. I turn from trusting in myself And I place my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I trust him to lead my life from this point forward. And I I set the strength that he gives to me to more and more walk in obedience to him. And our invitation to you today is if you have never connected to Jesus Christ. I didn't say you're not religious. I didn't say you're not trying to be a moral person. And I said, if you've never connected in that way to Jesus Christ, then let today be the day. Let today be the day that you establish that connection with Jesus Christ. Before you leave this room today, there's going to be some folks in the back of our worship space. There's a banner hanging on the wall that says connect that indicates where our connect room is. And that's the place where there's going to be some folks right after the close of our service that would be delighted, honored to talk to you about how you can personally establish a connection to Jesus Christ. Let today be the day of your salvation. Today be the day of that connection. For some of us here today, perhaps many in the room, uh, we, 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 by God's enabling grace, had that connection take place months ago, weeks ago, years ago. But you're in a place now where maybe as you think about the end of summer and the start of the fall and the regular schedule, it's a good time of evaluation. And you say, you know, uh, there's been kind of some slippage. There's been some slippage in some of my, my habits or my practices that help, help me to stay vitally connected to Christ. And, and maybe I haven't really been posturing myself to, to listen to him through his word or, or have those quiet moments in prayer. Or maybe there's, there's been there's some habits 
habits that, that have kind of taken me away from the vitality of that connection. And part of, part of your response to this entire series is just to say, God, I need to return to that abiding in you. I need to return to the vitality of my connection with you. And maybe today you just need to say, God, help me. Help me again to reestablish some of those habits that help me to abide in you and abide in your word. And maybe today God's just going to speak to you about how to put on gentleness and maybe a relationship that it's most challenging for you to do that in. And maybe even as you go through those six statements, just God's just going to put his finger on one or two and say, there, that's where I need you to give attention to in the relationships of your life. Would you just pray with me right now and let's see what God may want to say in these last couple moments. Oh, Father, thank you that you offer this connection to Jesus Christ. And, and through that connection that, that you not only forgive us and save us, you not only provide a, a place for us with you in all eternity, but Father, you, you begin to do a powerful work in us, a work of transformation, of, of developing and displaying the character of Christ through the followers of Christ. And Lord, I just pray today that there would be some in this room that before they leave this room, they would have a new lease on life because they have a new life in Jesus Christ that today would be the day of their salvation. Father, I'm going to pray that some followers of Jesus Christ would, would take up again some of those, of those habits of growth, those habits of holiness, those habits that make us whole and allow us to, to experience more and more of a life-giving connection to you through you, through your word. And Lord, that you would just accelerate our growth in grace. Father, I pray for the relationships in our life because that's where so many of these characteristics show up. Father, I pray that we would be men and women who are marked increasingly by a biblical gentleness and meekness, that the people around us would experience the life of Christ, would experience men and women who are both steel and velvet. As you just take another moment or two to sit before the Lord, I'm going to ask you just to look at that note-taking guide and look at that box and invite you to make it personal. And 